Thank you for listening today to our podcast here at Word of Life. We're delighted that you tuned in. And I pray that while you hear us talk, you hear the Holy Spirit speak. I know God's got a big plan for you. We're excited to be a part of that plan. Hopefully we will see you sometime soon, maybe even this weekend. Until then, we pray you have a wonderful, wonderful week. I want to invite you at both of our physical campuses and our online campus uh, to open up with me today to the book of Acts. We're going to look at Acts chapter 4, and we're going to continue in our series on canvas and clay. How many of you believe that this year God wants to do a work in you? Amen. And I know that in our American culture, we always want God to do a work for us. But God's chief aim is not doing a work for you. God's chief aim is doing a work in you until you are transformed, until you begin reflecting Christ and become his disciple, one who is like Christ, and that's where the word Christian came from. And so what we're talking about in this series is that God can change anything about you. Did you know that? That there's nothing in your life that God can't change that God can change anything about you, all he needs is time. Uh, And we see in the book of Acts a group of believers who have fellowship with Jesus come and cease from activity. In fact, the book of Acts, which is the the beginning of the early church, uh, they are tempted to go out and engage in all of this Christian activity and build churches and go build evangelistic ministries and all of these things. But God says, wait and be with me. And he pulls them aside from their activity. He pulls them aside. He fixes their focus and gets them centered on Jesus, and they come up to an upper room, uh, an upper room, and so fellowship with God until they are filled with the Holy Spirit. That they, they have this moment of breaking from activity, rearranging their schedule to commune with God until they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see that as they do this, these individuals were changed. Their lives became empowered. Their lives became transformed. None more so than Peter, who we see him in the Gospels denying Jesus just a couple of moments before this moment in the book of Acts. But we see when he breaks from activity and he gets filled with the Holy Spirit of God by centering his life in an upper room around Jesus, he is transformed into this man who is standing in front of thousands, proclaiming the name of Jesus, a rock upon which God was building his church. Where did this transformation come from? It came by Peter breaking from activity, communing with God until he was filled with God's Holy Spirit. Now, everyone in this room at Highland Colony and online is filled with something. (laughs) Everyone here is filled with something. Some of you are filled with a a lot of knowledge about food. Uh, Some of you are filled with a a lot of knowledge about coffee. Some could tell me everything I wanted to know and more about Madden, because you are filled with information on Madden or Minecraft or Fortnite or any of those types of things, or maybe 
some of you have read a knowledge so much, a novel so much that it has filled you with knowledge of that novel, and you could tell me everything that happened there because your focus has been fixed on that thing. Some of you could pull out an app on your phone and show me exactly how to navigate it, uh, point me in the right direction on how to post and change the filter and make it better because your focus has been fixed on that. And what I am challenging you with as the overseer of your soul and as your pastor for those who have come in and, and given me that honor to be able to do that is to ask you to say to yourself, what am I filled with? And is it the Holy Spirit of God? And to ask you to, in this season to fix your focus and to kind of take it over into a life that is more centered around Jesus and centered around the things of God, that you are filled with the book of John that you are filled with the book of Psalms, that you are filled with Proverbs, that you are filled with what Jesus did in the Gospels, that you are filled with what Paul wrote in, to the, in the epistles to the churches, that you are filled with worship, that you know the lyrics to the worship songs better than you know the ly lyrics of the secular songs. Uh, that you, you know what's going on within the, the climate of the Spirit of God more so than you know what's going on on the news of whatever your favorite channel is, that you are fixing your focus and you are like the disciples in the book of Acts, giving God your body and giving God your mind and engaging God in such an intimate way that God begins to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And here's the byproduct of being filled with the Holy Spirit. When you are filled, it's not by might now or self-control that you are now trying to change you. You are now so filled with the Spirit that the fruit of the Spirit begins to manifest through you, and one of those fruits is self-control. But it's not a control that is coming from you. It's a control that is coming from the Spirit, and you're living a Spirit-empowered life that you've got peace that the world knows not of. You have joy that is unspeakable and filled with glory because it's not coming from the world or circumstances. It's coming from the God you are. Come on, somebody. It's coming from the God that you are filled with. And when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, it's just like a cup that's filled with water. If you, you, you tap it, the water's going to come out. And if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, when I get tapped, like there should be this love that comes out of me, this grace that comes out of me, this gentleness, this meekness, this kindness, this control that comes out of me. But the, the issue is not that we are dysfunctional, and some people think, well, I'm just dysfunctional. No, 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 you're not dysfunctional. The issue is, what are you filled with? Amen. And God says, if you will be filled with my spirit and you take the time to fellowship with me and around my things, I will change you into who I want you to be because I'm the potter and you're the clay. So I, I'm challenging myself, and I'm challenging you, and I'm challenging you, and I'm challenging Highland Colony to take this moment and to take this season of January. You've got one week left on our fast. I'm challenging you to make this week more filled with God than ever before. 
And, and maybe there are some things that on this fast you have not done, and just for this last week, you kind of just want to accelerate in God to maybe prune some of those things out of your life for the season, put them in their proper place, so that you can surrender not just your body, but more of your mind to God. That your, your mind is not so filled with all of these other things that, that has no room for the Spirit, but instead you empty and pour out so that God can fill up and fill in. Amen. Uh, so I'm, I've been challenging us to do that because I do believe God wants to transform you. I believe God wants to release you this year, and in order for him to do that, he just needs your surrender. And one of the things that as I began meditating on these things that God needed our surrender in was not just us giving God our bodies and not just giving God our minds, but this week I want to talk about specifically giving God and people our resources. Uh, and I know that this is always everybody's favorite subject, uh, but just trust me, we're not going to take up an offering. Uh, we never pass buckets <laughs> here at Word of Life. Uh, if you've ever been in a service and felt manipulated by a subject like this, I pray that this message is redeeming, has a redeeming quality about it uh, that ties in the true heart of God to this issue and this subject, and that the Holy Spirit just breathes a, a breath of fresh air upon this subject in your own heart. In the book of Acts, we see this this power of the Spirit, that the church is very real and engaging. You see God getting in people's shadows and healing people and miracles in the church and God's presence so filling rooms that the physical rooms begin to shake and, uh, and move and all of these kinds of things. God is very real to his people. And this is what I want to you is that you as the people of God have a God who is very real. And we see something happen here that I think if you want to see what they saw in the book of Acts, you have to do what they did in the book of Acts. And watch what happens here in Acts chapter 4 uh, and verse number 32. And the multitude of them were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that the things that they possessed was their own. So it was a stewardship mentality versus an ownership mentality. But they had all things common, and with great notices, great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace, so notice great power and great grace, was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold. And they laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Uh, it gives the example of one particular man uh, in verse 36 who had land, and he sold it. Verse 37, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Uh, we see without manipulation... We see without strong arm twisting, we see without the disciples from recorded memory even teaching or preaching on it, God begins to move throughout the early church and moves their heart to so much generosity that they are not just tithing, but they are selling, like they are, are simplifying, they are selling things in their possession uh, to come and give it to those who were in need. 
uh, God so strongly moving on their heart that we see this becoming a natural reaction to not look on what I can possess, but to look on what others do not and see if my desire can meet their need. Uh, and to see if my want can meet their affliction. And the early church had this moment. And when you look at this, like, it's radical generosity. Like, it's not like a common generosity. It is radical generosity, so much so that people are literally selling their houses. And they're not selling their houses because the market is great and interest rates are low and they want to upgrade. Like, they're, they're selling their houses uh, because they want to come and minister it. Uh, to people. And I think the reason why the Bible has this in the book of Acts at the forefront of how the early church began, and I'm telling you, uh, Jesus is coming for a church that looks like the book of Acts church. Uh, Our job is to build a modern-day book of Acts church, uh, that the, the end church looks like the early church. And out of this, I think the reason why uh, the Bible shows us this, and we see this just come from the Spirit and manifested in their life, is to redeem what happened in the Garden of Eden. Now, in the, the book of Genesis, you have the story of Adam and Eve, and it's really this beautiful story of Adam and Eve enjoying God and his creation. That God comes and he makes creation and gold and diamonds. How many of you know God made all that? Uh, He makes all these things and he makes beachfront property and mountains and streams and sand and forests and all these things. And he calls it good and he blesses his children with this. And his children are enjoying it and his children are enjoying him. And there's walks with God in the cool of the day. And Adam is knowing God's voice and God is very real to Adam. In fact, Adam is living in the presence of God in the garden and and, and enjoying this moment in Eden with God. But God does something very interesting. Is in the middle of all this, he introduces an option. He takes part of his creation... And he makes it as an option to man, and he asks man, do not partake of this. Now, I've taught on this before, but this is important for those of you who may be new to church. I often wondered as a child, God, why in the world would you make that other tree? Like, none of this would be, like, a problem. Like, sin would not be a problem. The lion would still be laying down with the lamb had you have not made the other tree. Like, why did you even give man the option to not obey you? And the reason why is simply this, is you can't have love until you have preference. You don't know which boy you really love until you got a boy to choose from. You don't know uh, what uh, the thing on the menu you really love if everything on the menu was the same. Choice reveals preference. Preference reveals love. And as soon as I can choose you, it's the pathway to loving you. But if you're all I got, so God comes and he says, I want you to have choice. Because you can't really love me until you have the choice to choose me. 
And so when you have the choice to choose me, your choice will reveal your preference, and your preference will reveal your love, and I want to see if you love me more. Now, the battle here was not a battle between God and Satan. The battle here was a battle between, get this, in your heart in a big way. The battle was creator versus creation. That God has made something in the earth that when you look at it, do you notice the fruit? When man looked at it, he desired it. When man looked at it, he found it attractive. When man looked at it, he saw something I wanted. When man looked at it, he saw something that was, was very different from the other things in the garden. And there was something in him that was drawn to it. And it was what God made. God made this. And the choice that Adam had was not, I think I'll choose Satan today over God. It was not that. It was the same thing Jesus talked about in the book of Matthew. There's only two gods that you will serve, God or mammon, creator or creation. And you know the story. That man got so caught up in his lust, man got so caught up in this status, man got so caught up in this desire that man chose the creation over the creator And he sacrificed a walk with God in the cool of the day. And being intimate with the Lord Jesus. And knowing God in a real way in a garden. That God would not just be God, but Father and intimacy. And he has all of this, but he got so caught up with his desire for the creation that he sacrificed his relationship with the creator for his loss for the creation. And ever since that moment, God's been looking to redeem that through the tithe, through offering a bull or a goat. None, none story proves this more than with the story of the rich young ruler. You have a guy who has everything anybody would ever want. He's rich, young, and a ruler. Uh, and we want to see how rich we can get, how quick we can get there, and how much authority can I have. And this guy has that. What he thinks, um, uh, you know, this is a real story. It's not a parable. And everyone's reading this and thinking, that's what I want in life, because especially with our American version of Christianity, we want upward mobility. We want God to come in and for our life to see progress and to see our lives expand and become richer and have more authority, all while we're doing it as young as we can do it. And this guy comes in, and he's rich, and he's young, he's a ruler, and he comes to Jesus and he says, like, what I want is I want, like, a deep, intimate relationship with you. And the context of this is, is he is seeing others who are having, like, this real close, intimate relationship with Jesus. And he's like, I want that. And he asked him, what must I do? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. And you know the story. Rich young ruler's like, I've kept all of those from my, my youth. And uh, I, I've done all of those things. And I love this, that the Bible says Jesus looking on him loved him. Did you know when Jesus looks on you, he loves you? That no matter what you've done, even your worst sin, when Jesus looks on you, he's not ashamed of you. 
That we're so used that when people look on us, our parents look at us, and we're at our worst, we can feel their shame. We can feel the shame of a teacher, the shame of a friend. But every time when Jesus looks on you, even in your sin, he looks on you and he loves you. I want to be more like Jesus. He looks on him and he loves him. And he says, but one thing you lack, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And take up your cross and follow me. And you can be my disciple. And the rich young ruler in this moment has a choice. Do I want the creator or the creation? Do I want a walk with Jesus or do I want the status of life that I have worked so hard to achieve? And he makes the same mistake Adam does in the garden and he chooses the forbidden fruit and he holds on to the creation. What I find interesting is the Bible records this in the book of Mark. They'll put it up on the screens. Watch this. And this man's face fell, the rich young ruler's face fell, and he went away very sad because he had great wealth. Now, we would think in our society that great wealth equals very happy. But here, even with his great wealth, he comes away and he is very sad. Now, this begs an interesting question. Does God mind if you have great wealth? Absolutely not. I'll talk about that in just a minute. But what God does mind is does great wealth have you? And for this individual, his heart for the creation was greater than his love for the creator. And he would not offer it freely unto the Lord, so he kept it for himself because of the status that came with it, because of the... This is interesting to me. When I was studying this subject, Jesus comes and he's like, okay, like, look, 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 look. He's like, take no thought for your life. And then he says this, because it's in the context of, you'll either serve the creator or the creation. You'll either love God or you'll love money. There's no in between. Like, these are the two lords. You're going to pick which one you want. Uh, and then he comes in the context of this, and he's like, take no thought for your life. He, he comes and he says, like, why are you taking thought for your life and saying things like, what am I going to eat? Now, that makes sense to me. And not make sense in that, you know, like, we're hungry because we're on a fast. Like, what am I going to eat? But, you know, if you're in the world and you're so impoverished that you have nothing to feed your family with, how that would make you very nervous and very anxious. And so your thought process would be, what am I going to eat? So I get that part of the equation. But he didn't stop there. He said, and what you will wear. And with the same angst, he says, that people would think about what they would eat, he said, I notice that that same angst is in what people think about when what they're going to wear. Because he knows that in our culture, we place so much emphasis on image and status and fortune and fame and, and uh, you know, these types of things that it has become this thing where it's like I have to be approved by people and I have to be approved by a base and I have to be approved by, uh, you know, a social group. And so I will go after things in life to improve what I wear so that I can have the status 
And my life will be so fixed on that that I don't see I am drifting further and further away from the Creator. And God comes and He's like, Look, I'm not telling you don't have the stuff. He says, Do you see the flowers of the field? He said, even Solomon, the richest man who ever lived, was not arrayed like unto one of those. And if I clothe the flowers of the field which are here today and pass away tomorrow, don't you think I'll clothe you? So he says, I don't mind you having the clothes. What I mind is the angst that you live with by trying to get some social standing in life that that has become the focus of your life, and in pursuing the creation, you have forsaken the creator, and God says, I want it back. I want to redeem Adam. I want to come back and take you back into this place where what you're thinking about is not what you wear, and you're not thinking about all the time of how can I prove where I live, and you're not thinking about all the time of how can I prove the car that I have, but at the forefront of my mind is my determined purpose is to know him and to know the power of his resurrection, to walk in the beauty of holiness, to be God inside-minded, to come to a place where I'm walking and living in the fear of the Lord, and God says when you're in that place fear not little flock it's the father's good pleasure to give you the whole kingdom and all throughout scripture we see this teaching I could take the time to build it out but I want to encourage you to read the New Testament through this lens wonder if we could see it where, where Paul writes this to our Peter writes this in first Peter check this out you know this who's adorning he's writing to ladies here And he says, who adorning, let it be not that of the outward adorning of the plating of the hair or the wearing of gold or putting on of apparel. Verse 4, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even an ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great price. Look at this in the Passion Version. They'll put this up in the Passion Translation. Let your true beauty come from your inner personality not a focus on the external, for lasting beauty comes from a gentle and peaceful spirit which is precious in God's sight and is much more important than the outward adornment of elaborate hair, jewelry, and fine clothes. Is God saying I shouldn't have jewelry and fine clothes? No, 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 no. He says that the more you walk with God, the more you care about the hidden man of the heart than the outward man of the heart. God is saying that the more you walk with God, the more you care about what somebody is like inside than what they are like outside. The more you walk with God, the less you are impressed with the outward appearance and the more you're impressed by the inward condition. That, that the main thing I'm looking at when I even I look at myself is not do I look okay in this, that the main thing I'm looking at in the mirror is how's my soul, how's my walk with Jesus, how's the light, am I light and darkness, am I shining? Like He's saying like we have to refocus our lives on these things. So all throughout Scripture, the Bible gives us this connotation, and, and I want to encourage you in this. And here's three steps I would love every single one of us to take. First step, number one, simplify. Simplify, 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 simplify. And somebody says, well, what do you mean by simplify? I mean if it doesn't bring you joy, don't buy it. And if you possess it and it doesn't bring you joy, give it away. And here's here's what I mean by this. God made creation, and you know why he made it? 
because he knew you would like it. And he wants you to enjoy it. And there's certain things that you enjoy. Like I can remember, I, you know, I'm not a shoe guy, but I, I noticed that shoes became like very, you know, like prevalent. Uh, and that type of thing, and I'm like, maybe I'll buy a nice pair of shoes. And I saw how much they cost. I'm like, oh my gosh! Like I'm like, whoa! And so I'm like, huh? Ah. And so you know, I kind of thought about it. And I saved up and bought me a pair. And then I got them, and I realized these things bring me no joy whatsoever. So I gave them away. Uh, we all have things like that in life where we're chasing after something because someone else has it. We want it because we went to their, we never knew we wanted it until we went to their house. And it's like, nah, they had it. Well, we need it. Uh, and like all of these things. And I want you to know that God wants you to have whatever you will enjoy. And when God is telling the parable of the, the prodigal son, we see a man of great wealth. And God didn't mind that he had great wealth because the great wealth did not have him. You see him in the story being incredibly generous to his sons and very generous to his household. You see this generosity flow out of him, and God sees. Like, I don't care if you have great wealth. What I care is, does great wealth have you? And this father, he's living for his family. He's not living for riches. He's living for the kingdom of God. He's not living for all this stuff. It flows freely to him, and it flows freely through him, and it's this beautiful display of simplicity. And he gives his inheritance to the younger son, and he goes and runs away and, you know, does all those bad things with money, and he finds that it made him miserable. It did not bring him life. He went away sad with great possessions, just like the rich young ruler, uh, because joy was not coming from this type of lifestyle. And when he comes home, what's very interesting is the father is there waiting on him, and when the father is there waiting on him, you go and you read the story. You know what the father does? He says, go and bring him the best robe. And put the best robe on him. Go and kill the fatted calf. Not just a cow. The fatted calf. And let's be merry about it. Let's enjoy this. Enjoy the robe. Enjoy a good steak. Come on, somebody. Thank you, Lord, for the fatted calf. Like, enjoy. Enjoy the fatted calf. Enjoy a good steak. Enjoy a good robe. Take joy in it. But there was somebody else in the story. You remember this? The other son who represents the religious people. And this other son, it's like, they shouldn't be enjoying that. I can't believe anybody would enjoy that. I can't believe that they would have that. I can't believe they're making merry about that. And when you see the, the father come to this son, and he's like, you killed a fatted calf. You, you killed the best one. He's like, exactly. And you know what he tells the son? All that I have is yours. If you want to enjoy it, go after it. If it would bring you joy, get you a house on the ocean. If it brings you joy, get it. If it brings you joy, enjoy it. I made it for you to enjoy. And so we see Jesus through his teaching on the prodigal son actually correct those who uh, condemn people for enjoying his creation. And he says, no, 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 no. It should bring you pleasure to see people enjoy life. Life is filled with love, joy, and peace. So if it would bring you joy, awesome. But how many things are in your closet that don't bring you joy, that you skip over seven shirts and keep going back to the one shirt that does bring you joy? And God is like, okay, like, have we maybe gotten to the place where creation has just so consumed us and we're marketed to so much 
that my life has lost its simplicity and now I'm just trying to have this in my wardrobe because someone else does or this on my car because someone else does or this in my life because someone else does and I'm really not getting any happier. And God says, why don't you simplify? So regularly throughout our home, we will look and we will ask, does this bring me joy? And if not, we ask, who would it give joy to? Does this bring me joy? No. Well, who could it give joy to? And we give it away. I don't want my life consumed of the abundance of things which which I possess. Like, I, I want to purge my life and live simply with anything in my life that is there. It's there because it brings me joy. It does and fills my life with warmth. Like, that's good. So simplify. Number two, give. Give. And somebody says, well, what do I give? Well, that's real easy. We start with the tithe. And why the tithe? Uh, Once again, I'm not passing buckets, uh, but I do strongly recommend tithing. And it's not just because of, you know, what you've heard all the time of the window of heaven being opened uh, over your life. For me, tithing is this moment when instead of me looking at the one tree that is off limits to me, and what I could do with that 10%, and the creation I could buy if I had that 10%, It is me redeeming Adam's choice and coming back and saying that belongs to God. And it keeps that safeguard in my own heart to say that I will not live for the creation and take that extra 10% and then give that on more creation for myself. That belongs to the creator. It is holy, and I will give it unto him. And you redeem Adam's choice. And you know what? It keeps you in the Garden of Eden. It keeps you in this place of provision from God where the, the water is coming up from the ground to keep everything perfectly watered. It's redeeming that choice and choosing the creator over the creation. But outside of that, I believe in offerings. And what I mean by offerings is just simply this. There are things in my household that don't bring me joy. I want to simplify those things. I want to give it to people who, who it does give joy to. But also in my life through giving, there are things in my life that bring me great joy. And I regularly offer those things to the kingdom and to others. And somebody says, well, why would you do it if it brings you joy? Because I want to take my walk with God as deep as I can take it. And I want a covenant that cuts. I want to feel it. And so regularly, me and my wife will find things in our life that brings us great joy, and we will offer it to others. And we will freely give it to the kingdom of God by selling it and giving it. Or we will find somebody who who needs it and take our desire and fulfill their need. There have been times where we gave away our children's bed suits to families that needed beds, and our kids slept on a mattress on the floor. And I don't say that to bring any glory to me. I say that because the the level and the heart through which that I I have seen of what that did for us and the humility that it brought in our life was some of the healthiest things that we've ever done spiritually. And now it's not the case. You go in my kids' rooms and it's things that bring them joy. It's good bedrooms. But without fail, with any one of those things in those bedrooms, we would give that away at any time. And we probably should do it more. Why? Because it's redeeming this choice. It is saying, God, I'd rather walk with the creator than with the creation. And when I fix my eyes on the creator, it's amazing how little I actually want. 
When I fix my eyes on the creator, it's amazing how strangely dim the world becomes. When I fix my eyes on the creator, it's amazing how strangely dim the creation becomes. But when I fix my eyes on the creation, it's amazing how dim the creator becomes. But when I can simplify my life and begin to give and begin to sacrificially bring sacrifice of of something I enjoy to the kingdom of God, it refocuses our life on the creator. Which brings me to point number three, focus your life on eternity. Focus on expanding the kingdom of God. I, I saw somebody do this. Uh, a while back, and when it did, it it really blessed me. They had this long rope, and you can see I've got this this long rope, and it stretches all the way off stage, and you can't see the end of it. And he said, this rope represents eternity. And did you know that you all, everyone in this room, have a life after death? A life that just keeps going forever and ever? And this little red spot, this little red, red moment on the rope is what your life is like here on earth. It's, it's very short compared to the grand scheme of eternity. And what happens in life is we, we have a self-help culture and an upward mobility culture and that creeps into the church and it's like, let's see how rich and how full we can make this little bit of life and let's see how much longer we could make this little bit of red and let, let's see how you know uh, powerful we can become in this little red sliver. And, and I think there's a part of that, that that absolutely blesses the heart of God because he is a father and he wants good things for his children just like you want good things for, for your children and want their life full and rich. But I also think that there might be a part of God that gets very grieved when all we focus on is this and we are forgetting all of this. And, and I think the, the more spiritual you get and the more you walk with him, the less you care about what you have in this and the more you care about who you have in this. And we begin to live in this, not to make this better, but we begin to live in this, to bring as many who is, who's with us in this, that we begin to see and take on a kingdom mentality and to see how can I leverage my life and my resources, not just for this life, but for this one. And I think as a pastor, if I could get you thinking about this and saving so we could give more, so more people could come to this and focus our lives more on generosity so that we could have more who's with us from Uganda in this and who's with us from India in this and who's with us from China in this and who's with us from Kroger in this and who's with us in the post office in this and who, who's with us in El Portrillo's in this and like everywhere that we go that we begin to use our mouth and our prayer and our resources and our, our possessions to begin bringing who's into this and letting that fill our joy and that fill our lives. And God comes to us and says, and now you've got it, that if you will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all of these things that the world is seeking, you will not have to add them to yourselves. I will lay them beside you because 
because you have gotten the heart of God and you have chosen the creator over the creation. You have chose his present over a present. You have chosen walking with him versus driving in something nicer. And God is saying, out of this, I'll take care of all of this. Fear not, little flock. It's my pleasure, Jesus says, to bring you the whole kingdom. And so let's move in this season of our lives to give God more of our time, to give God more of our bodies, to give God more of our mind. Maybe in this season, even some of you go home and you're like, how can we simplify? Maybe some of you go home and it's like, how can I give God more of my possessions and like the book of Acts? Maybe you sell something and give it to a missionary. Maybe you take, one of the most precious things, I know I'm going long, forgive me. One of the most precious things that I saw on Christmas was I had uh, one employee come and find another employee and give them this like beautiful pair of like purple Jordans. Now like I could never pull those off ever, 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 ever. Uh, But um, I knew the sacrifice that this one employee made to give him that. And I'm watching it happen from across the room, and the employee who got it, it meant more to him and brought him so much joy that he literally could not talk, like couldn't get the words out of his mouth. And everybody is eating, and we eat so long that we move, and he is just sitting there looking at the shoes. Maybe there's some things in your life that have brought you that measure of joy that maybe you could offer it to the Lord and his kingdom by finding somebody like that who what maybe you take for granted even sometimes every day would mean the world to someone else and you could do it in the name of the Lord and expand the kingdom of God in their own life. But whatever it may be, let's refocus our life and by the end of this month, give God more of our time, give God more of our body, give God more of our minds, and this week, maybe even give God and others more of our possessions to redeem Adam's decision and to choose the creator over the creation. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name for every person here. And Father, I just thank you for every person watching online, for every person at Highland Colony. Father, I just thank you that for all of us together as one church family, that your Holy Spirit is doing a great work in us. And Father, we just give you thanks for that. This moment at Highland Colony, Pastor Ryan's going to come to the stage and do an altar call, stay in that prayerful place. Here at Lakeland and online, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. And if you are are here today and you want to make a decision for Jesus and to just strip away the old and walk in the new and come into a fresh relationship with him, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make anyone look at you. But I am most definitely going to ask you to make a humble decision in the presence of Jesus and to come to a place of surrender. And we know that when we surrender, typically we would lift up our hands as a sign of surrender to say, I give up, and to welcome the authority of another in our life. 
And today, if that's you, every head is bowed, every eye is closed, this is the only thing I want to ask you to do. If you would like to surrender to Jesus today in a fresh and new way, I want to encourage you to just lift up your hand from the front to the back, all in the balcony, there in your living room, wherever you are, hands going up all over the room. Anybody else, just say, today, I want to surrender Jesus. I want to give you more of me. I see those hands in the balcony. Amazing, amazing, amazing. See those hands on the floor. I'm sure there are hands going up online. Amazing. Now, everybody in this room, let's just pray this, this prayer together, and let's just have a time of talking to our Father. You can pray this prayer after me. Just repeat it. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you humbly, and I come to you with a sincere heart, and I say, Lord, here's my life. Take it. I give it all to you. And I know, Father, that a part of that is my imperfections, my weaknesses, and my mistakes. I give that to you, Father. And I thank you, Lord, that you take those things and you look on me with love and give me forgiveness, healing, restoration. Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I give you permission to be my Lord. Take me, Father. Make me new. Change me from the inside out. And I say boldly, Lord, my best days are beginning right now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Can we give it up today for everybody who made a decision for Jesus? Ah, it's awesome.